Okay, can you tell them what your name is? Scout. Scout? Okay, how do you spell that? Can you spell it for them? No. Yeah, you can. Tell them how you spell it. You can't? Okay, so we spell it W-I-L-L, right? But it's pronounced Scout. Does that work? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, tell them what kind of boots you have on. What are they? Spider-Man. Spider-Man boots? Okay. So, are we, are we going to do our song? Okay, tell them all. Say, stand up, please. Stand up, please. Okay, do you want up on my shoulders to do it? No. You don't want on my shoulders to do no. it? Where are you going to do it from? Here. You're going to do it from right there? Yeah. Okay. Okay, now, hey, we have not... We have not taught you all the second verse, but the motions aren't, aren't much different, so. Okay, you ready? Are you gonna do the motions? Are you gonna sing too? Huh? You are? You want me to hold the microphone so you can sing? Okay, are you ready? Okay, say, my God is so So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Do you want to do the second verse for him or you want him to... You just wanted to do it? Stone, do you remember the second verse? Okay, the second verse. Okay, the second verse, the only thing different is he made the trees, so it's kind of like mountains. He made the seas, it's kind of like rivers. But then it's he made the elephants too. And so you have to make a trunk and make a noise like an elephant. Okay? Okay, you ready? Okay, so that's that's the only difference. Okay, so here we go. You ready? Okay, so, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. He made the trees, he made the seas, he made the elephants too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Say yay. Okay, have a seat. Okay, hang on. one more thing, okay? Okay. Okay, you stand right there. Okay. Hang on a second. Okay, so last week, my wife, who is the adult, um, is afraid of bugs. But what did you do last week? Did you do bug week? Yeah. Yeah? You did? Okay, so all week last week they did stuff that had to do with bugs. And you learned a Bible verse about bugs too, didn't you? Okay, here, stand up. Okay, come right here. So you can get to the microphone. Okay, so now tell them your Bible verse. And do the motions. I want you to help. Okay, go for it. You start it. Okay, because I can't remember it. You do it. Okay? I know. <laughs> I know. I get that look a lot from your mom. Okay. Can you do it for him? Oh. Here, I'll hold the microphone and you do it. 
How does it start? Okay, you do it real quick, okay? I don't know how. Okay, here, whisper it to me and I'll help you, because I can't remember it. Okay, what is it I know? Can you do it? Okay, okay, I'll start it and you do the motions, okay? okay. And you say it, okay, ready? Say, I know. I know every bird in the mountain, all the insects in the field are mine. Psalm 5011. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, you can go back there with Ms. Kaleo, okay? Okay, okay go on. Yeah, he, he takes after his mom very much. So, hey, you know what I just realized? I walked up here with my kid and not my Bible, but that's okay. <laughs> Y'all are like, <laughs> Jared doesn't have his Bible. Okay. Um, turn to Judges, the book of Judges. Yep, Judges. No, not Dudja. Not Dudja, Judges. Thanks. Thanks, Sammy. I was like, I knew that I came out of the sound booth with it. Okay. Um, yeah, I knew that I'd come out of, the, out of the sound booth with it, but I did not know where it was, so that was good. Okay, uh, Judges, chapter number... Seven, and this is a lesson that I do. I do a lot, but I, I absolutely love this lesson, and it's going to be a really good way to kind of end. I say kind of end our week because we still have tomorrow morning, but um, just a really good way to end our week uh, tonight, leading into um, the campfire. And um, Okay, I just looked back there and he's sitting on a stool and it just kind of freaked me out, but he's good. Okay. Kalea, he's in your hands, so you do not want to see Mama if something happens to him. So uh, he was passed out cold on the couch when I got home. And so I went and I took a shower and got cleaned up and I was getting ready to come. And, and my wife's like, okay, I'll see you later because she had a class she had to go to tonight. And so he was still asleep. And I'm like, man, we got to go. And so I said, like, the magic words to wake him up is, hey, buddy, um, we need to go to Pals. And, like, he sat straight up off the couch, and he goes, can we get cheddar rounds? I'm like, I'm like, no. I said, they don't have cheddar rounds this late. And he goes, okay, Frenchie fries will be fine. And I'm like, okay. So um, my children are growing up on Christian um, I say Christian, um, fast food. They only know that Pals and Chick-fil-A exist. Um, no, we don't do McDonald's. We don't do Burger King. We don't even do Bojangles. So, um, but yeah, like he, I think one of the first words he ever knew was Pals. And like he can, he can pinpoint them from like 30 miles away. He, he's like, wait, there's a Pals on this road. And it's like, yeah, I know. He goes, can we stop? No. Like, just because we drive by pals does not mean, okay, yeah, fine, we'll pull in. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's like, 
That's like when the hot, line, hot light pops on at Krispy Kreme. You can't help but just go, yeah, you know, well, yeah, okay, one. So, um, speaking of donuts, when I got married, and I think I've told you all of this, like my wife wanted this like really formal wedding, which I was like, yeah, okay, sure, let's do that. And uh, she goes, so what do you want on your groom's table? And I was like, Krispy Kreme donuts. And she goes, no, really. I was like, no, Krispy Kreme donuts. She goes, you can't have Krispy Kreme donuts. It's going to be a formal wedding, like full sit-down meal, like formal, like, you know. And I was like, yeah, I understand that. I was like, Krispy Kreme donuts. And she was like, no. And she fought it and fought it and fought it. And finally, like, it was, it was a couple of weeks before the wedding. She goes, fine, you can have your donuts. And I was like, okay, cool. And she got so mad because everybody loved the donuts. And, like, <laughs> nobody liked the rest of the stuff that we had. Um, so, but, um, yeah, it was, it was really fun. And I actually have, like, really cool pictures of it, but I don't have them up because I forgot to... I forgot to send them to Kalea earlier today. So, but yeah, it was a big tower of donuts and all the little kids loved it and I did too. And uh, so it was, it was lots of fun. And our photographer took like 30 pictures of them. I don't know why, but she did. So that has absolutely nothing to do with anything except that I am really glad to be here with you guys. Um, so Judges chapter number seven is a really cool... Um, it's a really cool passage, and I kind of mentioned Gideon earlier uh, when I was talking about, you know, a lot of times, like, when we want, like, the big dramatic, you know, way for God to say, hey, this is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do, and Gideon was one of those people. Like, when we're first introduced to Gideon, he's hiding. Like, his family is a slave family, and their whole job is to supply wheat to, uh, to the group that has them in, in captivity. And we find Gideon, and he's hiding out in one of the, in one of the threshing. Um, yep, my mind just went blank. Uh, in one of the areas where they're, where they're threshing the wheat. And, like, he's hiding out, and he thinks that he's hiding really well. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to him. and is like, hey, Gideon. And, like, he freaks out. And, uh, and he's, he's, like, scrambling around because he thinks he's hidden well. And all of a sudden, somebody's talking to him by name. And, and he goes, you know, who are you? And they're like, you know, we're an angel of the Lord, and we've come to call you. Like, you're going you're gonna to lead God's army. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, he's like I'm, I'm puny. Like, look at me. Like, I'm, I'm weak. And, he, and the angel goes, yeah, but you're going to lead God's army. And Gideon goes, no, I don't think you understand who I am. Like, not only am I the weakest member of my family, like, my family is the weakest family in the weakest tribe of Israel. So Gideon's saying, you know, not only... Like, I'm the weakest of the weakest of the weak. And, and he's like, you know, you, you, I don't think you're talking to the right person. And the angel goes, yeah, you're, you're Gideon, right? He's like, yep. And he's like, okay, I was told I was going to find you here, so you're the only Gideon. You're here. Like, yep, you're the guy. And Gideon's like, okay, well, if I am the guy, like, here's what I want. And so he lays out, we always, you know, you hear referred to as like the golden fleece. And, and Gideon's like, you know, I want... I want the fleece to be this way and the ground around it to be this way. And the angel's like, okay. And so the next morning, the fleece is the way that he asked and the ground around it is, you know, wet or dry. I can't, right now, I can't remember which one of them it was. And Gideon goes, okay, well, that's cool. But just to make doubly sure, like tomorrow morning, make those two the opposite. So like make the ground wet and make the fleece dry. And, and, the, uh, and the angel's like, okay. And so the next morning, it's that way. And Gideon goes, okay, well, you know, you must be legit. Like, let's do this. And um, I almost made a really bad MC Hammer joke. Um, but 
Gideon was too legit to quit. Okay, I had to get it out. I had to. I, that was horrible. I'm sorry. I had to get that out. So um, that's the second MC Hammer joke I've had today. One of them was at work. So, and uh, you can't touch that one. That was good. Uh, no, the other, the other joke at work was a uh, warning sign of like one stick figure throwing a hammer at the head of another stick figure. And I sent it to a buddy of mine at work and I was like, hammer time. Um, so. so yeah, so, so Gideon was just like way too legit to quit. So here we find Gideon and he is leading God's army. And that's where we find him in Judges chapter number seven. So it says, then Zerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So here we find Gideon, and his name's been changed. He's now a general of God's army. And they are encamped on one side of a valley. And on the other side of the valley is their enemy, the Midianites. And like the Israelites are enslaved to the Midianites. And so they're trying to like, like they're trying to, to not be enslaved anymore. Verse number two, then the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people. We'll get to that. And here's, here's, here's where it kind of lays out. Gideon has 32,000 people, and we'll get to those numbers here in a second. So it's 32,000 in Gideon's army. The Midianites have 125,000. So the odds are about four to one. Okay? Actually, yeah, four to one? Yeah, four to one. About four to one. So that's not too bad. And every time I'm at camp, I always like to pick out like four like little weaklings. And not that I think you're weaklings. It's just I like to pick some of the smallest people. But I'm not going to. It's <laughs> like really timid. She's like, you can pick me. So, but just imagine like you... And three of your buddies think that you're going to go up against me. Okay? So for the most part, I might be able to put up a pretty good fight. Number one, I can run. Number two, I can throw things. Number three, I have a gun. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, choking. I'm joking. I didn't carry it in here. Um, anyway, no, I'm just joking. Um, but no, like... I could put up a pretty good fight. Like, I'm pretty scrappy for my size. Scrappy. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, I could put up a fight against four of you, okay? I'm not saying that I could defeat four of you, but I could put a hurting on a few of you, okay? So one of the first times I ever taught this lesson, there was some little kid, and I cannot remember his name, but I can see him plain as day. He's this scrawny little kid, and he had this flat top, like blonde flat top haircut, and he was literally about like this tall. And he wore pants that were about three sizes too big for him. And I think his name was Hunter. But he had like this big shirt and like he was like, he was like just this little, I mean, he was a scrappy little kid. And he came up to me after I taught this lesson and he goes, I could take you. I was like, you probably could. I said, you could try. So for some reason later on that day, I decided to get in the pool with the guys like when they were over at the pool for their, for their swim time. And it was almost like... Um, Curse of the Black Pearl. <laughs> like, you know, when, when, when the, uh, the, the balloon, like the pirate gold, like touched the water and there was like that ripple effect that went out and like called, you know, like the cursed pirates to come and, and track it down. 
Like, that's what it was like for me. Like, they were ignoring me. I'm walking around the pool. I'm just kind of hanging out. Like, the minute that my toe touched the water, it, like, you could see the ripples go out through the whole pool, and it was like, Jared's in the pool. And, like, every head turned, and they were like sharks. Like, they were just, like, coming towards me. And I'm like, what in the world? They were like, you said you could take us. And I'm like, oh, my word. So, like, I get into the pool. I don't know why I continued to get in the pool, but I did. And, like, they're coming at me, and they're trying to dunk me, and they're, like, jumping all over me. And, like, I'm throwing them, and I'm slinging them, and I'm trying to duck them. And all of a sudden, I hear, kamikaze! And, like, I turn around, and this hunter kid who is in these pants that are three sizes too big, and they're soaking wet because he's been swimming in them for whatever reason, he comes flying through the air at my head. Okay? And I'm turning around, and I see him flying, and I barely have enough time to, like, grab him and just continue his momentum, and I throw him, like, another 10 feet across the pool. And he comes up, and he goes, I'll kill you, and, like, he still comes after me. And I was like, what is up with this kid? It's like all I wanted to do was swim, and he's, like, trying to kill me. I'm like, okay. And I mean, like, there's rage in this kid's eyes, and I'm like... You need Jesus, kid, you know? But uh, so anyway, I survived the pool because that's why I'm able to be here today, and he did too. I don't know how. I don't know how he didn't drown with those pants on, but, you know. But anyway, but it, it like, so, you know, four to one, like, the odds are, the odds are pretty good. You know, like, I could put a hurting on a, on a couple of you, but eventually, like, you know, it's almost like the movies. Like, all four of you would just kind of stand around and let me fight, you know, each one of you individually, you know, right? Right? No, like you all would just like come at me and, uh, you know, but I think I could put up a pretty good fight and I could hurt two of you, maybe like maim one of you, but then like the fourth one would just like bite my ankles and I'd be down. So, um, but that's kind of the odds that are going on right now, okay? It's four to one. And I love this part because God comes up and he says, hey, the people that are with you are too many. But check out this next phrase. He says, for me to give the Midianites into their hands. He doesn't say your people are too many to go out and fight. He says the people are too many for me to be able to win this battle for you. And why? Because what I just said. They're going to go, oh, the odds aren't really that bad. Like, we can take on four people at once. Like, my sword's long enough. I can swing it around and cut up some people before they ever get to me. Like, God didn't have anything to do with this. It was all us. And God goes, hey, I've already won this battle. Like, there's too many people. And if I was Gideon, I'd be like, hang on a second. You pull me out of a thresher. You tell me that I'm going to lead an army, and now you're telling me that there's too many people here. Have you seen how many people are over there? And God goes, yep, too many people. And he goes, here's what I want you to do. Verse number three says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. So basically, here's what God says. He goes, I want you to go to your soldiers, to your army, to these men who have been trained to fight and ask them this question. Are you scared? Are you afraid? And Gideon's like, okay, I don't really know what that's going to do, but sure, I'll go do it. And check this out. The Bible says this. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. 32,000 soldiers, they have been trained literally from birth how to handle swords. Like to the point that they're ambidextrous. Like they are taught to fight with both hands. So that way if one arm gets cut off in battle, they can still fight with the other one. Yeah. Okay, and then they're like the Black Knight from Monty Python. They're like, you know, yeah. 
But anyway, so, so they are literally taught to fight. Like, this is what they were bred to do. This is what they were designed to do. And Gideon goes up in front of them, and he goes, okay, guys, I got a question. How many of you are scared? And they're all just, like, looking around, and they're like, are you serious? I mean, imagine, like, nobody likes to be the first one, but imagine being the first guy that goes, yeah, I'm scared. Like, you know, and I like to imagine that it was, like, the hulkiest guy there, you know, like Bruce Banner, like, hulky type, you know, he's like, you know, and they're like, hey, are you scared? He's like, yeah, I'm scared, you know? And, like, this little guy's like, seriously, man, you're scared? You know, it's like, yeah, I'm scared. And it's like, but you're, like, the biggest guy here. It's like, yeah, but, like, I'm trembling in my armor. You know, it's like, have you seen those guys that are over there? And, and like, the Bible says that Gideon, like, one by one, hands start going up, and Gideon's counting them. And at the end of the day, 22,000 men left the camp. Now, if you're the Midianites and you're sitting over there and you're like, wait a minute, they're gathering, like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden you see hands start raising. Now I'd be like, oh, wait a minute, they're getting ready to ambush us. And they're like, okay, let's just wait, let's just chill out, let's see what's going on. And they start counting, because they can count because they have 22,000 toes, and they start counting, and they're like, wait a minute, 22,000 guys, where are they going? And then they see them like march over the hill and disappear. And they're like, wait a minute, the last time we counted, there were 32,000, now there's just 10. In case you're wondering, that's 12 and a half people to one. Okay, I ain't winning that fight at all. Okay, when I was in that pool, there was like 40-some to me and Hunter. <laughs> like it was like 40-some, Hunter, and then me. So, 45 and a half. So, I was like, but they see this happen. So, Gideon's standing there and he's like, okay, God, I've got 10,000. Like, here we go. Like, is this going to be good enough? (coughs) Verse number four. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Anybody ever get, like, a text message? Yeah. Anybody ever get a text message that, like, when you read it, you're like, oh, because, like, it's really disappointing. And then you're like, it, it can't possibly get worse. And then, like, no sooner has that thought, like, left your brain, then your phone goes ding, and it's like a text message, and you're like, oh. And you open it up, and you're like, yeah, it just got worse. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what's happening here. Gideon goes, Gideon goes, okay, God, we got 10,000. And God goes, yep, you still have too many. Now, if I was Gideon right about now, I'm going to be like, okay, seriously? You told me I was going to lead an army, and I barely have a platoon now, okay? Like, you called me to, to, to lead your army, and you're taking my soldiers away. Like, what in the world is going on? And God goes, yeah, you've still got too many. And get, like, if I was Gideon, I'd be like, okay, wait a minute. First, it was four to one. Now, it's 12 and a half to one. And yes, God, half a person counts. Okay, there's 12 and a half people to one of my guys. Like, I don't know about you, but those odds are not ever in our favor. Some of you all might have gotten that reference. Some of you may not have. Okay? Like, there's nobody going, I volunteer as tribute. No, like, that's not happening. Thank you for the sign. Okay. So, yeah, like, that's not about to happen. Okay? And God goes, God goes, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to test them. And Gideon's like, I don't know if I can take this. But he says, take them down to the water, and I will test them there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. 
Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. Now, in case you don't know what that means, I will explain that to you. What Gideon has done is he has gotten his army into full gear. They've got on all of their armor. They've got all of their weapons. They are going on a march. And they march down the mountainside to the creek that's in the valley. So the Midianites are watching all of this. And they're seeing the army march. So they're starting to get ready. But then they notice that they stop at the creek. And Gideon goes, okay, guys, we've marched this far. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a canteen break. Everybody, get a drink. And so all of these guys, like, rush to this creek because it's hot, they're sweaty, they're thirsty. They run down there, and the Bible describes two different types of people. The first group, it says, are going to be those who drink with their tongues like a dog. And the other ones are going to be those that kneel down and literally scoop the water up and bring it to their mouth. And you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? You have to think about it. They're in full armor. They've got a helmet. They've got a chest plate. They've got, like, all of this protection on them. So when they go and they, like, dive headfirst into the water, they've got all of this weight at a weird angle because they're bent over. Their helmet's going to fall off. Their chest plate's going to slam them up in the face, like, when they bend over. Like, all this stuff's not going to allow them to bend over. So they start taking all of this protection away. They start laying their shields aside. They start laying their swords aside because their only focus right now is getting that drink of water. And going back to the pool, and not just this one, but just like any pool, when you go diving in and you come up, what's the first thing that you do? Well, besides air, you start wiping the water away from your face. Because like you've been underwater, there's water in your face, you're trying to get the water out, and you, it kind of takes you a second to get your bearings and like open up your eyes. And in my case, Hunter could be flying at you kamikaze style. <laughs> if he was smart, he never would have screamed kamikaze. I'd have just opened up my eyes and he'd have been there. But at this point, like, they, they'd like dive into the water. They've laid aside all of their protection. They've laid aside everything that helps them be a soldier and guards them and protects them and allows them to go on the offensive and the defensive. The other group of people, they've knelt down. And what they've done is they still have their shield. They lay their sword right down beside of them where they can get it. They've knelt down, they've bent down, and they've scooped up the water and they're drinking it out of their hand. But their eyes are up, and their eyes are alert, and they're watching. And they're always, they're always prepared, because they're always looking for where the enemy's going to come from. And if the enemy happens to run up on them, all they have to do is grab their sword and stand up, and they're ready to fight again. Whereas these other guys, they're dead. Like, literally, before their face ever hits the water, they could be dead. And God goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to separate those. Everybody that goes face first into the water, you put them over here. Everybody that drinks from their hand, you put them over here. So I like to think that Gideon's kind of walking through this creek, and he's playing like this weird game of duck-duck-goose. And he's going, if I call you a duck, go over there. If I call you a goose, go over there. And so he's kind of going down through there, and he's like, goose, 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 duck, 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 goose, 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 goose. Goose, goose, duck, goose, 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 duck, goose, duck, 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 oh, duck, goose, goose, goose. Are y'all getting the point? Goose, 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 goose. There's a whole lot more of one than there is of another one. Verse number eight. Nope, verse number six, sorry. It says, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was... How many does it say? 300. 300. 
out of 10,000, 9,700 went face first into the water. And Gideon goes, hey, all you geese, pack it up and go home. So Gideon started that day with 32,000 people. And now here stands Gideon with 300 dry men. 300. And he's just hanging out there. And it would be really insane if, like, the very next verse that I read says, and God says, hey, Gideon, that's way too many people. <laughs> but thankfully for Gideon, here's what happens. Verse number seven, and the Lord said to Gideon, now, if I was Gideon, this is about the time where that, that text message would go, ding, and I'd be like, not another one. Please, not another one. And, like, he opens it up, and God goes, hey. And Gideon's just expecting the worst, and God goes, Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go everyone to their home. So the people took provisions in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Gideon's like, okay, all you guys that are soaking wet, go dry off, pack your stuff up, go home. And there's 300 men. And God goes, Gideon, with those 300 men, you're going to win. Because I'm with you, and you're going to win. Now, for the sake of time, here's the game plan. God goes, Gideon, here's what you're going to do with those 300 men. You're going to walk them through camp, and they're going to get three items. And these are going to be what you take into battle. They're going to get a clay pot, a torch, and a trumpet. Sounds like a good battle plan, doesn't it? A trumpet, a torch, and a clay pot. And Gideon's like, okay, because at this point, Gideon doesn't know what else to do except to trust God. And he goes, he goes, yeah, let's do this. So here goes Gideon, and they all get these, they all get a clay pot, they all get a torch, and they all get this trumpet. And God goes, now that they have that, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go down to the camp in the middle of the night, and you're going to line your 300 men all the way around it, and you're going to ring them. And then, when the command is given, you're going to, you're going to, break, the, you're going to break the pot, the light's going to shine, you're going to blow your trumpet, and you're going to scream. <laughs> now imagine being in an army, and the general comes up to you, and he goes, hey guys, we're going to put our weapons down, you're going to grab a pot, one time, like the very first time I ever did this lesson, I had a five-gallon bucket, a tiki torch, and a harmonica. Okay? Not much better than what they were walking in there with. And he goes, this is what you're going to go into battle with, and you're going to line up around there. And you tell them that when they are given the command, they're going to break their pitchers, they're going to blow the horns, they're going to scream, and the Midianites are going to lose to you. Now remember, these guys are trained soldiers. They're going up against trained soldiers. And they're going in there with basically a water gun. Okay, my boys think that a water gun is the most awesome weapon ever imaginable, except for a Nerf gun. And we have learned something. You do not shoot people in the face with your Nerf gun. You can shoot them in the butt, but you cannot shoot them in the face. Okay? Just trust me. That's the rule in our house. No faces. You can hit the butt. 
Charlie is a crack shot with a Nerf gun and like those darts, okay? He was out in like their little play fort that they've got in the backyard and he comes running up to the house and he goes, da 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 And I'm like, what? And he goes, I shot at a bee. I'm like, you did what? And he goes, he goes, you know those big boar bees, like those big carpenter bees, like those annoying things that like eat through wood? He goes, I shot at one of those with a Nerf bullet. And I was like, no, really, what'd you do? And he goes, I really hit it. And I was like, really? And so he takes me out to where the casualty is laying. And I walk out there, and sure enough, there's a boar bee like laying there. It's stunned. Like, it's kind of slowly crawling, and he goes, right there it is. And I'm like, I'm like, where did you shoot that from? And he goes, out of the sky. <laughs> and I'm like, no, really, how did, how did you do that? And Scout goes, Dudge, he shot at it out of the sky with that Nerf bullet. And I was like, are you serious? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, it's not dead yet. And I'm like, yeah, I see that. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, it is now. And I was like, okay. So I go back in and I'm fixing supper and all of a sudden I hear dudge 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 and like I'm like thinking oh lord they've hit like a hornet and like they're swarming them <laughs> like what's going on and he comes up and he goes I shot it a second one and I'm like you did and he goes yeah I killed it I went what did you do step on it he goes no I really killed it this time and so he takes me back out to where casualty number 2 <laughs> is laying and it's legit on its back not moving and like I'm not poked it with a stick like you know I'm like sitting there like flipping it around and it's not moving and he goes I was like why'd you do that you killed it he goes I was just making sure and I was like oh awesome okay so if you ever come over to my house wear extra padding and uh don't dress in yellow and black because you will probably be shot um but no so Gideon like, he goes to his army, and he goes, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down. We're going to encircle the camp. You're going to be standing there with your clay pot, your torch, and this trumpet. And when I tell you, you're going you're gonna to break the pot. You're going to light your fire. You're going to blow the horn. You're going to scream. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, I don't know if Gideon says that. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it says that in my version. Like, Gideon's like, it's going to be cool, okay? We're going to do it. So they circle the camp. And I can just imagine it. Like, they go down through there, and they sneak up, and the Midianites are snoring, like, they're sleepwalking, they're sleep-talking. Like, I don't know what's going on, but they're asleep. And the army lines up around them, and there's 300 of them. And so I, I like to imagine Gideon's, like, chilling out, like, right in the middle of all of them. And all of a sudden, he, like, looks over, and he goes, okay, spread the word. It's getting ready to happen. And so the guy on his right goes, okay. And so it starts going around that way. And he looks over at the guy on his left, and he goes, hey, we're about to start. And, like, they go off that direction with the news. So they're all standing there. I can just imagine, like, there's that little scrawny guy that was, you know, like, looking up at the Hulk guy. I was like, man, I'm really scared, too. He's actually stayed, okay? But his helmet's a little big, and his clay pits, you know, like, his pitcher's up there, and, like, the horn's, like, as big as his leg, you know? But he's ready to fight, and, like, he's just standing there, and I can just imagine he's, like, real antsy, and he's, like, really nervous, and he's, like, real jittery. And he's standing there, and he's like, he's like, this is about to happen. This is about to happen. Like, this is going to be so awesome. And then all of a sudden, he hears, like, whispering, and, like, he's the last guy that's going to get the message, and he gets it from both sides. And they're like, it's about to start. It's about to happen. And like, he's about to just like wet his pants. He's so excited. He's like, this is going to be awesome. You know, he's like freaking out. And he's like, okay, when's this going to happen? And then he hears something else murmuring because now Gideon has says, it's really about to happen this time. And like, he gets up to him and he's like, man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. And like, he's starting to practice and everybody's like, shit. And he's like, this is going to be great. And you know, and like, he's like freaking out. And then all of a sudden he hears murmuring again. And like, it gets to him and they go, you have to start it. He's like, 
wait a minute, what am I doing? And they're like, break the pitcher and light the torch and blow the trumpet and we're all going to scream. And he's like, okay. Like all of a sudden, like you hear these pitchers start breaking and all these lights flare to life. And all of a sudden, all these ram horns start scream or start blaring. And then all of a sudden you hear 300 voices cry out the sword of the Lord and Gideon all at the same time. And the Midianites, all of a sudden it says that they wake up, they start scrambling because they start looking outside their tents and all they see are 300 lights and they hear 300 trumpets and they hear all these voices screaming and all they see is that their camp is encircled and it's dark and all they can see are those 300 lights and those 300 men and all that they can think of is there's an army behind them and they start freaking out because they don't know if the army's in the camp and the Bible tells us that they start throwing swords at each other and they start fighting each other. Back before I was a youth pastor and a teacher and a children's minister and a dad and a husband and all that fun stuff, I was a camp counselor, but not here. That would have been awesome too, but I was never a camp counselor here. I was a camp counselor at this camp about a couple hours from here, and the guy's dorm, you all think that you have it bad sometimes, we were in an old tobacco barn. There were 36 bunk beds, so there were 62 guys that lived in a converted tobacco barn. There were four showers and three toilets, and they made mush, which you all have no idea what mush is, but mush is like this shower house that used to be up here. It was gnarly. Camel crickets, mold, mildew, mist, like nasty swamp thing, okay, kind of a thing. Like, like it was bad. It made that one look like a palace, okay? And we lived there. Like to the point that there were even cows that like were in the field around it and they would come up and lay their head on the floor that we had built up in the tobacco barn and he would wake up and he'd be like, good morning, Bessie. <laughs> and like Bessie would like lick her tongue, like lick her nose and go, Mrr. and you were like, yeah, that's how I feel too. And then she'd go, <clears throat> and like sneeze all over the guy on the bottom bunk. That really happened to a buddy of mine. <laughs> it was funny. Um, so yeah, my time as a camp counselor, I uh, duct taped a kid to his top bunk because he was climbing in the rafters, and when he fell asleep, I, he was mummified in his sleeping bag. The kid slept like a rock when we finally got him to sleep, and his youth pastor helped me duct tape him to the top bunk of his bed. <clears throat> and then, that same morning, it was my time to wake up the guys, and I was very nice about it. I went and found a weed eater a gas-powered weed eater that did not have string in it, okay? I was not that cruel. It was one that had been broken and like the motor worked on it, but the head wouldn't spin, so we had been working on it. But I went and got it. And I walk into the, I walk into the barn. The sunlight is coming through the slats. Like you can hear like birds starting to wake up. You know, it's like a nice little country Sunday or Sunday morning. Little kids are sleeping. You hear drool hitting the floor, you know, like they're having a good time. I hear somebody walking, and this youth pastor walks past me, and he's real groggy, and he's kind of walking, and he looks up, and he goes, morning, Jared, and then he stops, and his eyes get huge, because he sees me with this weed ear, <laughs> and I'm just standing in the barn, and he goes, I'm going to leave you to that, and he goes to the bathroom, and I went, have a good one, and I had it primed up, and I had my finger on the throttle, and I had my other hand on the pull cord. And I turn around to face the bunk bed of guys. And this one little kid is right here. And he wakes up and he goes, good morning. Oh, no. 
And about the time he said, oh no, I pulled the ripcord on that thing and that weed eater roared to life with just this unearthly, just when I mean, I was revving it up and it was going like, you know, I mean, it was going crazy, okay? This, like that little kid starts trying to get away from me because all they can see is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of stuff and they're like, this guy is nuts. And like kids are scrambling over one another to get away from me. This one kid stands up with this pillow that I have no idea where he got this pillow, but it was like a sandbag. And he's like swinging it at whatever is coming near him. Kids are flying into bunk beds. Like adults are scrambling because they had no, no idea that I was doing it. This lasts for like 10 seconds, but it might as well have been like 10 hours because it was hilarious watching like all these kids like trying to run around. And then, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, and I'm just standing there, and, like, it settles. And, like, there's literally dust settling. There's kids hanging from the top bunk. There are kids pulling themselves up off the floor. There are kids that are, like, screaming still. And I'm like, good morning. And I was like, breakfast is in 10 minutes. And I just turned around and walked out. So then when they all come walking into breakfast, like all the guys, I mean, like they are wired, like all their eyes are huge. And I'm at the door greeting everybody coming in the cafeteria. And they come walking in, they're like, morning, Jared. And like, they're just looking at me and they just walk by me. And the camp director, he goes, are they okay? <laughs> and one of the youth pastors goes, are we okay? He goes, what kind of psychos do you let work here? And Ronnie goes, Ronnie looked at me and he goes, what did you do? And I went, I went, you don't want to know. And he goes, he goes, you know what? He goes, come to think of it. He goes, who was weed eating this morning at like eight o'clock? And I was like, I have no idea. So, but, but that, like, I imagine that that's what this was like. Like in the middle of the night, like they go screaming and there's all this like breakage happening and these lights flare up and you hear these horns. Here's why this freaked them out. When an army traveled of that size, especially at night, they had torchbearers. And these torchbearers were interspersed throughout the entire army because they didn't have lights. They didn't have headlamps. Like, they didn't have all this. So they had torchbearers every so often in the rows and so many rows deep, and their light would illuminate everybody around them so they could march. So in this army, you had guys that carried torches. On top of that, you had guys that carried trumpets that would literally announce that an army was coming. And you had criers that would cry out exactly who the army was and what the army was fighting for, kind of like, you know, like radio advertisements. And they're walking, radio, it's like this thing that like they play music over, you guys, okay? Um, I'm, I'm joking, okay, cool, <laughs> it's really cool. Um, you know, they used to do it on like big records and then little records and now no records at all. Um, but, so, when, when like these Midianites wake up, they see all these components standing around and it's dark and they can't see what's back there and they are fighting each other because they don't know what's going on. And these 300 Israelites are just chilling there. And that one like little guy, he's like, man, this is awesome. Do you see what they're doing? Like, I wish I had a weed eater right now, you know, and like, like, but they're all standing there. And the Bible tells us that this is all like, they, like, not one of the 300 were hurt. They're all standing there, and almost the entire Midianite army was annihilated by each other. 
And the ones that were able to flee, like Gideon's 300, took off after them and took care of them. One thing that I failed to mention that's actually pretty cool, because we've talked about this throughout the week, is that God has gone before us and he's prepared the way. And the reason that we need to follow God is because he's been where he's asking us to go. And he knows that he's not going to put something in our path that we can't handle with his help. And so as proof of that, the night before, like when Gideon's army's getting ready, Gideon's like, God, I'm not sure about this. And God goes, hey, I want you to sneak down there. And I want you to listen. And he goes up to this one tent, and he's just kind of hanging out. And there's two soldiers in that tent. And one of them goes, you know what? I had this dream. And it's kind of weird. And the guy's like, okay, what was your dream? And he goes, there was this thing called a weed eater. No, I'm just joking. He goes, okay, so here's my dream. He says, so we're all chilling out down here. And he said, and all of a sudden, there's this really loud noise. And I look outside of the tent, and there's this biscuit made out of barley. And it's rolling down the mountainside. And all of a sudden, it smashes our tent flat and just keeps rolling. And this buddy of his that he's telling this story to, he goes, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he goes, really? What? And he goes, that barley, like biscuit that you're talking about, that's Gideon. Because barley was the cheapest nastiest form of wheat that you could possibly buy. Like, they didn't even want to feed it to their animals. Like, that's how bad barley was. And they're like, that's that Gideon guy. And that tent, that's our army. And your dream says that they're going to they're attack us and they're going to crush us. And then they both had a big laugh and they both went back to sleep. And Gideon goes back to his army and he goes, hey guys, we're going to win this. And then he takes them down there and all that happens. He said, God has showed me that we're going to win this because he's already won the battle for us. But you see, Gideon's army, those 300 men, they had to answer three questions. And here's what I want you guys to write down. The first one is, are you afraid? Like when God calls you to do something, that's literally going to be one of the questions that you have to face. Hey, God's asking you to do something, and he's going to ask you to do something bigger than what you think you're capable of doing. I don't like speaking in front of people. It scares me to death. On the drive over here from wherever I'm at, when I'm coming up here, I am a nervous wreck. And I am praying the whole way over here, God, just give me peace, give me the words to say, don't let me say something stupid. That doesn't really work out a lot. But I'm like, you know, like, help me be focused. Like, help me be able to get what I need to get across. Help me be able to stand up in front of somebody without passing out. Like, I would love to be back there where Kalea is. Like, I love being back there in the back where, like, the sound is and, like, the video elements are. Like, that's where I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable up here. And there's something that God's calling you to do, and your first answer, usually your first excuse is, well, God, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it's scary. Because he's asking you to do something that might be outside of your comfort zone, but he knows you're capable of it. That's why he's asking you to do it. Like, my little guys, they are going to conquer this world because they have absolutely no fear whatsoever. None. Charlie, he's a little timid, but then, like, once Scout does it, Charlie's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do it bigger. And I mean, they have no fear whatsoever. And as their parent, that scares me to death. 
because I hear them screaming at me and I go out and they're on top of the fort, like in our backyard. And they're like, look what I can do. And I'm like, you can fall. <laughs> you know, like I'm freaking out for them. But the first question that those guys had to answer was, are you, for, are you afraid? And 22,000 soldiers went, yeah, I'm scared. I want to go home. Imagine being those guys that are back in the city when news gets back there that Gideon's army of 300 men defeated the Midianite army of 125,000. And they're like, man, did you hear how brave those guys were? They weren't afraid. They stood up to to that army, and they went in there, and they did what God asked them to do. They were so brave. And those guys that were scared, they're like, man, that could have been me. But I was too scared. Like, I didn't trust God enough to know that he said he was going to fight that war for us and he was going to win it for us, but I was too scared to follow. And then you've got those 9,700 guys. They made it past the fear factor test. I'm the adult. I can do it. I'm the adult. Yeah, you're the adult. Kill that spider, you know. (laughs) They get there, and they're like, man, those guys went in there without any weapons, but they were prepared because they went in there with what God asked them to do. That's the second question is, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to let God prepare you? Are you going to trust him enough where you can go, you know what, I know that this is the sensible thing that I need to do, but you're telling me to do it this way? Yeah, I'll do it. Are you going to be prepared for the job that he's asking you to do? I mean, imagine being those guys that went back and they were like, they went in there with what? Like they didn't have a sword? No, they had a clay pitcher. They didn't have a shield? No, they had a torch. They didn't have a helmet? Nope, they had a trumpet. They didn't have a, like a chest plate? Nope, they just went in there and screamed. What? <laughs> like that goes against everything that, that like we know about war. And that's what's really cool about God because he says in the Bible, I'm going to take the foolish things of this world to stupefy the wise, like to confuse the wise. And you can ask any one of your leaders here, we are some of the most foolish people in the world and God chooses to use each of us. And I think that that is fantastic. Speaking of, I'm going to tell him the joke. Can I tell him the joke? My favorite elephant joke, because Uncle Paul. I'll do the first half, you do the second half. You good? Okay, here you go. He did not tell this one this morning, and I'm, he, we never did, so I'm going to do it. Okay, why do ducks have webbed feet? Nope, it's to help them stomp out forest fires. Now, I said elephant joke, and I just told you the duck. Uncle Paul, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? Okay. To stomp out the burning ducks. There you go. Okay. That's my favorite elephant joke that Uncle Paul has ever told. But um, yeah, I know I saw that. Okay. <coughs> but, okay. But here, I promise that, that actually did have a point. Okay. But that's what I'm saying. Like, God can use something as foolish as a duck and elephant joke like to teach you something. I haven't really figured out what, but I will one day, and I promise you I will. And I'll blog about it. Okay. Um, I'll, send it to, I'll send it to Uncle Paul's epistle, and we'll get it out there. Okay. But no, like, like they go, wait a minute. They went into battle with what? Seriously? That's it? Yeah, because they went in with what God asked them to do. They were prepared to follow the orders and do that. And then those 300 men... They answered the most ultimate question. So the first one that they had to answer was, are you afraid? 
And some of them might have said, you know what? Yeah, I'm a little scared, which that's healthy. Like a little bit of fear will save your life. Because a little bit of fear means you're not all the way brave. Like when Sarah and I, like when we hiked that mountain at 2 o'clock in the morning in the pitch black, there wasn't even a moon out. Like it would have been nice if there had been like a half moon because like we still could have seen. But there was not any moon. The only light we had was our little red flashlights. And we're hiking up this mountain. And we turn a corner and she screams. And it was a bunny, you know. But we were prepared. We had bear spray. Like we had the whole nine. So we were prepared. But we were still a little bit scared because she'd been on that trail before. I never had. And yeah, I was afraid. And she was a little bit too because it was crazy. But we did it. But part of the reason we were able to do it was because, yeah, we were a little scared, but we were still brave enough to go out and do it. And that's what these guys were. They were a little scared, but they still continued. And then the second question that they had to answer, like I said, was, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be willing to be prepared with what God wants you to do and how God wants you to do it? And they were like, you know what? This is pretty crazy. Like, I'm leaving my sword in my tent. I'm leaving my shield in my tent. I'm leaving all of my armor in the tent. And I'm going out there with a pitcher and a flaming torch and a horn. And they're like, you know what? I could probably burn a few people. I could probably cut them with the, like, the pitcher once we break it. And I could probably, you know, like, beat them over the head with a horn or blow it in their ear and disorient them so somebody else. You know, like, they're probably, like, because they're soldiers. They're probably formulating a plan on, like, how is this Swiss Army knife of God, like, going to, like, get me into this battle? You know, but they were able to answer that question. And then the third and final question that they had to answer was, are you going to be obedient to what you're called to do? Because you have to think about it. They're going against everything they've been trained to do. They're going in at night. They're going in without any weapons or protection. But they're going in. And not one of them goes, but, uh, hang on a second. Really? Like, that's what you want us to do? No, every one of them goes, yes. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're going to do. And somewhere in God's calling on your life, you are at one of those questions. And I really hate to put it this way, but it's not a one-time thing. Like, you don't just go, okay, God, yeah, I'm not scared. And you, like, you make it past that one, and then you make it past the prepared, and then you make it past the obedient because you're going where he wants you to go. Because he's not done with you. Because the path continues, and there's another branch. And he goes, hey, now that you're here, and everything's cool, like, I need you to go here, and I need to stretch you a little bit more. And then you have to go, oh. And he goes, are you afraid? Yeah. But you brought me through that. So, yeah, let's go do this. Okay, here's how I want you to attack it. Can you do that? Um, yeah, because we did it back there, so yeah, we can do that. And it gets easier to answer those questions, but you're always going to be constantly answering those questions. Like when Uncle Paul goes, hey, Jared, can you come do Teen Week? Ooh, are you scared? Yep. Are you prepared? I can be. Are you going to be obedient? Yep, let's do this. And it gets easier. It gets easier to answer those questions. It might not be easier to follow them, but it does get easier to answer them. And the following becomes easier. But you have to remember, just like the camp verse says, who's going to overcome this world? Those who believe in the Son of God. Because he has already overcome the world. So when he asks you, hey, I want you to go do this, 
What he's saying is, I want you to come join me on the other side because I've already fought this battle. I just need you to come through it and come over here with me. I just need you to come with me. For my 40th birthday, yes, my 40th birthday, a couple of weeks ago, Sarah and I did a warrior dash. And it's one of those mud run obstacle course things. I don't like heights. I don't mind heights. I don't like falling from heights. I had to climb a 15-foot wall. I had to climb up a cargo net and crawl over a 4x4 post while staring down at the ground 15 feet below me and crawl down the other side of this cargo net. I had to go through mud. I had to climb over stuff. I had to do this. I had to do that. The last obstacle that we had to do was called El Capitan. And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. Oh, but you should have seen it. It was two storage trailers stacked on top of one another with a two-by-four wall built on one side of it. So you climb up that two-by-four wall, and you are standing 20 feet off the ground. And then you look out in front of you, and there is a cargo net that goes, that spans a 20-foot gap up to a three-story tall storage container tower. I don't like heights. I climb up this, and there are these two guys that are volunteers, and they're like, hey, man. I'm like, hey, my wife is coming up behind me. She's starting to have a panic attack because she's not, she's not eagerly anticipating this either. And this guy goes, how you doing? Not good. Really, why? I don't like heights. And he goes, and you have to climb that? Yeah. He makes fun of me. And then my little wife, he goes, how are you, ma'am? And she goes, scared. And he goes, oh, it's not that bad. It's really not that bad. All you got to do, and I'm going, you know what? I'm going I'm to reap the benefits of this one. He goes, all you got to do is just climb that net. All you got to do is climb that net. And he goes, yeah, but it's real simple. Like, here's how you do it. And he goes, he goes, if you climb it this way, it's a lot easier. Well, by the time he says that, I'm like halfway up the net. And I turn around, and my wife's going, I don't know if I can. And he goes, you want me to do it with you? And I'm like, that's my line. And he goes, you want me to do it with you? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, well, then how are you going to get down from there? And he goes, the same way you just got up. And here was her next question, because I haven't told you this part. Because once you got up on top of the three-story one, the only way to get down was to slide. And I'm not talking about like, wee, slide. I'm talking about, ah, <laughs> slide. Because it's 30 feet tall, and it's plastic, and it's hot. And it burns. <laughs> and it's this angle, almost straight down. And then about three quarters of the way down, there's a really sharp, not like a smooth, like, slide. It's like, bump. I mean, there's like, it meets at like a weird angle, and it's straight. And then like you go about 10 feet on that, and then there's like a 20-foot runoff. And there's a guy down there at the bottom of it with a camera to take your picture, which I have been sworn that I will never show those pictures, ever. <laughs> and he's standing down there, and you can hear him from up on top because we're one of the last runs, and all you hear is click, 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 and he is taking pictures of you stressing out at the top of this slide. So my wife looks at this guy who has volunteered to climb up this, this cargo net with her, and he goes, she goes, how are you going to get back down? And he goes, the same way you're getting up there. She goes, you're not going to slide. He goes, oh, no, ma'am, it scares me. <laughs> oh, thank you for the reassurance. 
So we get up there. I don't like falling. I don't like heights. My wife is literally about to pass out from a panic attack. So I have to be the big, strong man. Am I afraid? Yep. Am I prepared? <laughs> no. <laughs> Am I going to follow through with what I'm about to do? Yeah, because I have to be the big, strong man. Because at first, I thought that guy was going to be the big, strong man and get my wife to go up all that. And I realized that for better or for worse, for richer and poor, for sickness and death, for going down a 30-foot slide that burns your butt when you go down <laughs> it, like, those were the vows that I had. Like, we're in this together. And we get up there, and I'm like, babe, just close your eyes and let's go. And before I can, like, send her more encouragement, she's halfway down the slide. And I'm like, okay. And that guy's still in there just like click, 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 as she comes down. And the picture of me, which I really wish I had shown you all, like, my beard's, like, flying 15 different directions. <laughs> but the look on my face is one of, like, sheer terror. <laughs> and then we get down to the bottom of that, and we have to run through, like, a fun, final mud pit. And then, like, she's all happy and, and everything because it's over. I was not prepared for any of that because I don't like heights. But because I'd done all those other things, like leading up to El Capitan, I'd climbed like over these things. I kind of conquered all of my fears. At one point, we actually had to jump over fire. That was pretty cool. My wife goes, let's hold hands. And all I could see was me jumping and her tripping and me dragging her through the fire. So like I was a little wigged out by that. And the picture that they took of us, I have this like look of concentration on my face and my wife is like, like cheesing it real big. And I'm jumping over this fire and like thankfully she made it over with me. So that was good. Um, no singe, no nothing, like we were good. But yeah, every, like all along that route, like each obstacle had gotten bigger and taller and more like complicated until you got to that final one. And it was like, okay, now you've made it this far how much farther are you going to go? And that was one thing I looked at my wife and I said, we've made it this far. What's this going to do? Like, why is this going to be the one that stops us? And yeah, I was scared. Every one of those elements where I had to get up tall, I was scared. Was I prepared? No, because I don't climb cargo nets. I don't climb storage containers. I don't go down 30 foot ah, slides. <laughs> like I go down like 10 foot slides. Like that's how I am. But each one of them did get easier. And when I did get up there and I'm looking down that, ah, it wasn't that bad. Like it really wasn't that bad because you just let go and you went. And that's what these guys did. Like every test along the way, it got a little bit easier until like they get there and they go, really, God wants us to go into battle with that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. Like he's brought us this far, let's do it. And that needs to be our attitude. God has brought me this far why not just go on? Like, he's brought me this far, and I've trusted him to this point. Why not just trust him a little bit more? Why not just do what he's asked me to do a little bit more? Are you scared? It's okay to answer yes. But trust God, because if he's asking you to come, it's not, hey, you go and I'll meet you there. It's, hey, I've already been. I want you to come to me. But it's okay to say yeah. Because like I said, a little bit of fear is good sometimes. Because it means that you're going to stay alert and you're not going to be overconfident. So yeah, are you scared? It's okay to say yeah. Are you going to be prepared? It's okay to say no sometimes. God, I'm not sure I'm going to be prepared, but if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to figure out a way to do it the way that you want me to. You know, he might be calling you to like some foreign country and you're like, God, I can't speak Spanish. 
I can't roll my R's. It's not like I got a piece of saltwater taffy in my mouth and I'm about to spit it out when I try to roll my tongue. I can't roll my R's, okay? I did not take Spanish, I took Latin, and I stunk that up too. Yes, thank you all for like rolling your R's at me, okay? I can't do that. Okay, shh. But if God were to call me to do something like that, I would try to figure out how to learn Spanish. Or I would find an app, an app that I could speak into and it would talk for me, okay? Like, I know how to say, like, where's the bathroom and thank you. That's about it, okay? But I would figure out a way to be prepared for what God called me to do. And then the biggest one is the obedience. Because that one's hard to do sometimes. Like, are you going to be obedient? That one's hard. Like, that little one back there is one of the most disobedient children I've ever met in my life. And I want to duct tape him to the wall so many times. Because I ask him to do something, and he'll look at me and he'll go, no. Oh, child, if I had duct tape right now, you would be upside down from the ceiling. And he just looks at me and he goes, silly dudja. But we're like that a lot of times. God goes, this is what I want you to do. And we go, silly God, nope. Nope. And he goes, but you said you were going to follow me, and this is what I want you to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you said you weren't afraid. You said you were going to be prepared, and you said you were going to follow me. <sighs> like, we get like that sometimes. Like, if you were to ask him, Uncle Paul would even tell you that he gets like that sometimes. Like, really, God, that's what you want me to do? Like, you've brought me to this point, and that's how you want me to follow through with this? Yeah. Okay. You want me to tell elephant jokes to a bunch of campers? Yep. Okay. I worked it in. Like, that's what you want me to do? Uh-huh. Okay. Y'all don't, y'all don't, he has a book of 101 elephant jokes. Like, he's memorized them. <laughs> you were lucky we stopped him this morning. He has 101 of them. Why? Because God goes, hey, I want you to tell elephant jokes to campers. Okay, cool. I don't know why. Yeah, we'll do it. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's so cool about it is because sometimes you're standing there and you're like, you want me to do what? Like, God, you do realize that I'm this type of person. Yeah. Okay, God, you do realize that, like, my skill set is not really in there. Yeah. You want to know why he asked us to do a lot of that stuff? Because he doesn't, like, he wants to be the one that brings us through that, where we go, you know what? It's not because of me that that happened. It's because of God and what God has done in my life and how God has brought me to it. That's what's got me here. Sometimes he wants to bring us through the fire so that people look at us and go, hey, you're not supposed to be able to withstand fire. That's what I love about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says that when they came out of the fire... They didn't even smell like smoke. You're going to be at a campfire here in a little bit. You're going to go to bed smelling like smoke. We go camping as a family in tents, and we sit around campfires. I smell like a campfire for a week. No matter how many times I wash this beard, it smells like a campfire for like a week after we get back. And all I'm doing is like sitting near a fire. I'm not like face first in it. I'll jump over it, but I'm not face first in it. But like God goes, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to go into a fiery furnace. And they go, man, that kind of, that's kind of scary. Yeah, but I'm going to be in there with you. Okay. And they were obedient to what he wanted them to do, which he wanted them to stand up for him. And at the end of that, 
it says that the king looks in there and he goes, hey, there's an extra guy walking around in there. And it looks like, it looks like the very son of God. And they came out and they were like, that's exactly who was in there with us. And the entire nation changes and begins to follow after God because of that example. And that can be you all. Hey, guys, I want you to walk through this fire. Okay, God, it's scary. Yeah, but I'm going to prepare you. Okay, if you're going to prepare me, are you going to do it? Yeah. Why? Because, God, you're on the other side, and I'm going to come to you. And when I get to the other side, I'm going to point people to you, and I'm going to go, hey, did you just see that garbage that I just came through? It was because of God. And not because he's a jerk. It's because he loves me, and he loves you, and he wanted you to see that he can bring me out of that, and I can still love him, and I can still point you to him. That's what he's calling you to do. So those are the three questions you're going to have to ask yourself and to answer. Are you afraid? Are you going to be prepared? And ultimately, are you going to be obedient to what God has called you to do? Let's pray. Father, we love you. <coughs> Father, we love the fact that you've called us the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That God, you use us in spite of ourselves, to point others to you. And Father, I don't know tonight what somebody's going through, what you've called them to do. But God, there's somebody in here tonight that's scared. There's somebody in here that they're standing there and they're looking at you and they're going, I know that's what you want me to do, but God, I'm scared. God, I don't know if I can do that. God, that's a big ask right there. And God, I pray that you give them the courage and the strength to overcome that fear to follow you. And God, at another point, there's somebody there, and they're saying, God, I don't know if I'm prepared to do this. God, I know that you've, that you've equipped me, and I know how you're asking me to go about this, but God, I, just, I, I don't know if I'm prepared. And God, I pray that you give them the knowledge and the understanding of how you're trying to equip them so that they can go out and conquer this world for you. And then, Father, if there's somebody that's, that's there and their big concern is just their simple obedience to just step out of the boat, step into the fire. God, whatever it is that you're asking them to do, I pray that you will just, that you will just give them a peace and an understanding that comes with being obedient to you. And, Father, for some that very question of obedience may just be coming to you and accepting you as their Savior for the very first time. God, laying aside the world that has held them back and coming to you and saying, God, what you did for me on the cross, what you did for me by, by resurrecting, Father, I want that in my life. I want to begin this journey with you. God, it scares me, and I'm not prepared, but I want to be obedient, and I want to follow you. God, I just pray that you will just help in whatever position, whatever stage of life, whatever stage of their walk, their journey that they are with you. Father, I pray that they just call out to you, they reach out to you, and you, you, you answer them back. Father, I thank you that we don't have to do this alone, that you've already gone before us, and you, you have cleared the path, and all we have to do is just follow. We love you and we thank you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.